0: If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, please open up to the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs. We will be in chapter 1 today as we're starting our new series in Proverbs. If you don't have a Bible, all you have to do is raise your hand, and an usher will let you borrow one of ours. If you don't own a Bible, we would love for you to take that one with you. You can put your name in it. You can keep it. Please let that be a blessing to you. If you do own a Bible and you just forgot it, you can just leave it in your seat when you leave the book of Proverbs, chapter 1, starting in verse 1. I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible. It says, The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for learning wisdom and discipline, for understanding insightful sayings, for receiving prudent instruction in righteousness, justice, and integrity, for teaching shrewdness to the inexperienced, knowledge and discretion to a young man, Let a wise person listen and increase learning, and let a discerning person obtain guidance for understanding a proverb or a parable, the words of the wise, and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and discipline. This is the word of God. Today, we start a brand new series. Today, we are in Proverbs. I know pretty obvious, right? Our new series is The Way of the Wise. We are going to work through Proverbs. I have never been in a church that preached through the book of Proverbs. I don't know about you, but we do believe this is God's Word. We do believe that this reveals God to us, particularly in Christ and in who He is and what He's done, just like all the rest of Scripture, and we hope you will see that as we move through. But today's passage is essential. So if you are here today, you are here on the right day to start Proverbs. Because if you miss verses 1 through 7, you will not get the rest of the book. Now, we mentioned during the announcement time that Christmas is coming up. And with Christmas coming up, that means some toys will have this wonderful little label that say, Some Assembly Required. Now, there are two kinds of people in the world and in this room. You see, there is one person who carefully reads and follows the instructions and whatever it is they're putting together and puts it together correctly. I'm seeing some nods. Some of you type A people are loving this. And then there are people who just stare at the front of the box and get it as close to it as you can and go back and read the instructions if you have to, and then you just hope that the seven parts you have left over at the end don't matter. Some of you are like, that's definitely me. I played with Legos when I was little, and it was always fun to try to do it without the instructions first, but then you realize, I have no idea what all these pieces do. This beginning part of Proverbs is very much the same way. You've got to read the instructions first. And this will give us insight to the entire rest of the book. It's going to tell us about the purpose and the foundation of the book of Proverbs. Now, we're going to see four main headings that I'm going to use today to help us understand Proverbs. What, who, why, and how. What, who, why, and how. I know, I'm super creative. You can't believe I came up with those on my own but I did. If you look in chapter 1, verse 1, the first part says, the Proverbs. Yes, that's all we're looking at for the first point of the what. These are the Proverbs, which is not really a word we use so much in everyday life, or I don't use it so much in everyday life. Definitely a Christian term, I guess a, a Jewish term as well here, but a proverb is essentially just a wise saying. You know how some people will say, well, my pappy always said... Maybe you don't know someone like that, but I'm from Alabama, so I know people who say that. Also, I happen to have a dad who's very quotable. Some of you who know me well know that I say things, well, my dad always says. And the truth is, I've started calling these things Rolandisms. See, my dad's name is Roland, R O L A N D, brown like the color. So I call these Rolandisms. And I thought sharing some of these with you might just help you get an idea of what a proverb could be. Um, a proverb from him would be God loves you and I'm trying. If you're going to be dumb, you've got to be tough. Shine, don't whine. Here's where he gets a little bit more serious. You have to make deposits before you make withdrawals. Now some of y'all are like, that's just the basic truth. No, it goes deeper than you think. We're going to do what's right and what appears to be right. And then one that everyone in here is going to appreciate today, there are no bad short sermons. My dad is a pastor and he always said, if the sermon is bad, if it only lasts for a little while, it's okay, because then you're done. So in the what of Proverbs, y'all are like, did he really just do all that? Yep. In the what of Proverbs, we're going to find wise sayings. The difference between those and Rolandisms or other wives' tales and things that you might know is that these are inspired by God himself. These are his words to us. These are eternal truths, not just kind of funny quips. So some of them probably could be funny books as well. The next thing we find in these verses is who. So the what is Proverbs. Now we find who. In the second half of verse one, it says, of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. So Solomon was David's son. If you don't know who David is, you may have heard of the story of David and Goliath. Whether you're a church person or not, whether you're a believer or not, you may have heard of David and Goliath before. You have the young boy who comes out with a sling, takes down the giant because he believes in God, all these kind of things, rescues Israel. He becomes king later on. Now, here's the thing. David really messed up at the end of his life. So he wasn't able to do all the things that he wanted to do. And he has a son, and he kind of passes off the gauntlet to him. But Solomon ends up being one of the wisest people to ever live. And that is who we believe collected, at least, if not wrote, a lot of these things. You see, once David died, Solomon became king, as it says there in verse 1. We actually find in 1 Kings 4.32, it says, Solomon spoke. 3,000 Proverbs, and his songs numbered 1,005. That's a lot. Just trying to think of like the sayings that you say. Trying to think of my dad, it was hard for me to come up with like 10 or 20. 3,000 Proverbs, 1,005 songs. He was a very wise man. Now, the reason we can't just say that Solomon is necessarily the author of the whole book is because in chapter 25, you're gonna see a little note about Hezekiah's men. In chapter 30, you're gonna hear about Agur, in chapter 31, you're going to hear about King Lemuel. But what's likely is that Solomon compiled all these, and there may have even been an editor after him that kind of put all this together in the way that it is. But we know that it was inspired by God to bring the book together the way that it is. And this is regularly attributed to Solomon because you find his verse there, his name there in the first verse. Make sense? So So far, we have the what and the who. <laughs> In verses two through six, we're going to find the why. And we're going to spend a little bit more time on the why, because I think the why is important, and the why gets a lot of time here in the passage. And I'm going to break these into three different subpoints. Some of you are like, man, not only does he have points today, he has subpoints. If you're new here, that's like a big deal for my preaching style. So subpoints are big. We've got them now. First one is the why is that these are practical. These are practical. We find in the first part of verse two it says, for learning, wisdom, and discipline. So for learning, wisdom, and discipline. What is wisdom? Have you ever thought about that? It's a word we throw around a lot. We seem like we think we know what it means, but it's one of those that when you actually try to write out a definition, you're like, I don't, I don't really know what I would say. I'll go ahead and tell you that throughout this book, it's often used as a synonym for knowledge, but it helps me to think about it as applied or lived knowledge. Does that make sense? So you have this knowledge, but now you know what to do with it. That would be wisdom. So hopefully these sayings, this entire book, is going to point us to things that are very practical for our lives because it's going to show you how to apply the knowledge you know. Now, if you were here today and you're like, man, I was just hoping for three points I could memorize and I could just go home. No, believe it or not, Jesus actually calls us to you know, follow him and like, do stuff. So it takes wisdom to be able to do that. So very practical in that thing. Now, what you need to know is that wisdom is not the same as the law. Wisdom is not the same as the law. So you have the law that comes in the Pentateuch, in your first few books, first five books of the Old Testament. And wisdom here then is, yes, applying the law, but it's also more than that. If you've read the Bible in here, and maybe if you haven't, you might know the Bible doesn't tell you exact instructions for every day of your life. The Bible does not mention my iPhone. Doesn't tell me what to do with that. You know what that means? That means I'm going to need the Holy Spirit, God's grace in the Holy Spirit, and wisdom to actually know how. Then can I use my iPhone in ways that glorify God? How then might I be using my iPhone in ways that don't glorify God? That requires wisdom. So it's not to say it's completely separate from the law, because the law can certainly inform wisdom, but it is its own category. That makes sense. We're tracking. No, we're not. We're asleep. Cool. Um, This also says discipline for learning wisdom and discipline. I don't know about y'all, but I don't like when I hear the word discipline. It has very negative connotations for me. I already talked about my dad a little bit, but when I think discipline, I think, you know, okay, it's time for a spanking. Or I think, like, self-discipline, which, by the way, isn't always fun, because that means sometimes I don't need to eat seven Oreos. I need to eat an apple. Sometimes. Discipline sometimes has negative connotations for us, but really discipline is reordering our thinking to lead to right, godly action. Reordering our thinking to lead to right, godly action. What this does is this admits that our human thinking is flawed. To learn discipline shows that our human thinking, our natural tendency, is flawed. We're definitely going to talk more about that. So our first thing is this is practical for learning wisdom and discipline. Our second subpoint here is that this is intellectual. Some of you got excited, and some of you just checked out because you're like, "I'm not here for intellectual." Tell me what I need to do, y'all. Christianity is not opposed to intellectualism. Okay, it also does not only for intellectuals. There, there, there's some kind of in between, some kind of middle ground there. But we've clearly found here in these passages that this book has an intellectual bend in many of its facets. The second part of verse 2 there says, for understanding insightful sayings. Again, insight is a word you might use all the time, insightful. But what that means is you're teaching somebody something that's not plain to the eye. Something that's insightful is true and makes sense, but isn't just plain upon observation. So for understanding insightful sayings, you need some intellect. Um, looking down in verse 6, and I'm skipping around a little bit, but you'll see why, hopefully, because verse 2 there said, for understanding. Verse 6 also says, for understanding, reiterating um, verse 2, for understanding a proverb or a parable, the words of the wise and their riddles. These are just different ways of talking about wise saying. All of this is so that this can make sense. Have you ever gone to church? Some of you, this might be you right now, I hope it's not. And you feel like, I just don't really get what's going on at church. It just doesn't make sense. I've been there. First time I went to a church that had like really formal liturgy, people were like standing up and sitting down and chanting things and praying things. And I was like, where are we in the book? i not saying anything is wrong with liturgy. I'm just saying that for my first time, I was confused. I didn't know what was going on. So the point of Proverbs here is to give us understanding. That should be encouraging to us because we can have understanding. Verses four and five also tie into this intellectual bin because it says, for teaching. The opposite side, it's not just for our understanding, but for teaching others. It says for teaching shrewdness to the inexperienced. Isn't shrewdness a fun biblical word? I know people use it other other ways, but shrewdness, this is the use of cleverness for godly outcome. Okay? This is using all of our facets for godly outcomes. And notice it says to the inexperienced. Your translation might say to the simple, and that might offend you. Someone here might be like, what is this saying? I like that the CSB actually says inexperienced here because that's really what they're trying to get at. The fact of the matter is, y'all, with experiencing life, we learn things, don't we? No, that's not true. I want you to think of yourself right now, 10 years ago. I want you to think of all the dumb decisions you made and all the things you did that you're like, what was I thinking? You got it? You're thinking about that 10 years ago? Now just imagine 10 years from now, we'll be doing the same thing about right now. At any given stage, we can be seen from a perspective as simple or inexperienced, and with experience comes more wisdom. This helps us teach those who may not have experienced the same thing. They can hopefully learn from our wisdom. Hopefully we can learn from the wisdom of others without having to experience necessarily all of those trials. Now it also says, Um, for teaching uh, trueness to the experience, knowledge and discretion to a young man. Ladies in the room, this is not disqualifying you. You need to know that. There are going to be lots of times in Proverbs where it's like, the young man needs to look at the woman, and I promise, ladies in the room, there are going to be applications that can be made here from you. Okay? We're good? We're cool? Cool. So, knowledge and discretion to a young man. Notice verse 5. It's important, because it says, let a wise person listen and increase learning, and let a discerning person obtain guidance. If you are in this room, and you think of yourself as wise, or experienced, or knowledgeable, you need to know that you can still learn guidance from Proverbs. We are never to the point in a Christian walk where we say, well, I just got it all figured out. You know, right now I'm working on my doctorate, and I've been a pastor for about eight years now. Pretty much got it down, right? No, that's not how this works. We continue to learn. We continue to grow. And verse five is so important to me because it's saying, let a wise person listen and increase in learning. Let a discerning person obtain guidance. You're actually proving yourself to not be wise if you don't think there's anything else for you to learn. Last up point here on the why is that we have moral reasons. Look in verse three. We're receiving prudent instruction in righteousness, justices, uh, justice, Well, wow, justiceness, that's a new thing, justice and integrity. Now, again, we're using all these weird words, y'all, you know, like, we oh, don't say these, are you just going to define terms for the whole time? Prudent is, if we're talking about careful forward thinking, careful forward thinking, okay? Taking this instruction, and it's laid out, it's defined for us in three areas, in righteousness, in justice, and in integrity, what I want you to notice about those three things, rather than define all three of them, I want you to notice that all three of them aren't just for you, the individual. They are also communal. They are aspects of both. Oftentimes, when we read the Bible, do we not read it and think like, what does this mean for me? What am I supposed to do? And that's all we think. This also means that it's going to have implications for what our life is lives look like as a society as we learn wisdom it's going to affect those around us positively cool now all of this learning things that are practical and intellectual and moral should sound pretty good who's ready for the rest of the series we're just going to go all the way through proverbs today no we're not we are really just going to look at one final verse after this and it is the how Because you see, all this might sound good. It may not sound good. You may be like, you've been talking too long. This is boring. I really don't care about Proverbs. Really can't believe we're doing a series through this. Verse 7 is what we must get. Because if we're talking about reading the instructions first, if you don't get verse 7, you won't get Proverbs. Verse 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and discipline. Now, the phrase, the fear of the Lord, may make you a little weird. You're like, I don't want to be afraid of God. This is an occasion in the Bible where we have that idea of right reverence. Now, if we understand that God is perfectly holy and we are not, there is a sense of fear and trembling that comes with that. Just next time you're reading through the Old Testament, every time someone sees God, I want you to count how many times they fall on their faces before Him, because it's a lot. The common response is to fall down as though so dead. Okay? so there's a right fear before the one holy God. There's a right reverence and a submission. Now notice here it says the fear of the Lord. This is his personal name in the Old Testament. This is showing us that this is the God of the covenant of grace. The God with whom we can have a relationship. The God with whom we can know and enjoy. Fearing him is the starting point. It says, the beginning of knowledge. Remember, knowledge and wisdom can be used interchangeably often, and this is one of those instances in Proverbs that it can. The beginning of wisdom, the beginning of knowledge, is fearing the Lord. This is the starting point. This is the key. This is the underlying assumption for the whole book. Now, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, or if you're not sure if you're a Christian, maybe you say, well, I just don't really know what's out there. That's okay, I'm glad you're here with us. Maybe this doesn't seem fair. Maybe it even seems insulting to you. Because you say, What this is fools despise wisdom and discipline. You're saying if I don't fear the Lord, I'm a fool? Yes. But we take fool now to have a much more negative connotation. I don't know if it's because, you know, we have like pity the fool and stuff like that. Or we just don't really call people fools that much. But the point here, and a, a, a dynamic you're going to see throughout Proverbs, is you will have the wise ways and you will have the foolish ways. And if we are not following the wise ways, we are following the foolish ways. And if the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord, and if we don't fear the Lord, we're going to go the foolish way. All of us, every time. But think about it, because this actually makes logical sense. God is the creator and sustainer of all things, as Scripture says. If every good thing comes from him, as Scripture says, is it not foolish to despise him and his ways? Is it not foolish to think that we humans who are so imperfect can stand before a holy God and tell him what he should be doing? That's a question I get a lot of time for people who are kind of exploring Christianity is, well, God doesn't seem fair. God is not under any obligation to us to be fair by our standards. He alone is God. He alone is good. He alone is without sin. And it's foolish for us to despise him when he is welcoming us in as children through Jesus Christ. If we say we, we want wisdom, but we don't want the source of wisdom, then we're revealing a problem with ourselves. A problem with which we're all born. A problem that in church we call sin. So when we do anything that's not like God, anything apart from faith, anything that rebels against God, anything that breaks his law, is all sin. And we are all born inherently center, sinners. Centers. We are all born with a center of sin. We are the center of sin are born that way. We actively live that way. All of us. Me too. And that's a problem because that makes us fools. That means no matter how much we might say we want to live wisely, apart from God, we can't. Now, some of you are already saying, are you saying that people who aren't Christians can't be nice and, and do some generally good things? That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying your general way of living will not be one that is ultimately wise and will be everlasting, and will be for the glory of God, and will be for your good, and will be for the good of those around you, if you do not know the Lord. And that's true for all of us. That's true for me. Fortunately, God gave us a solution to this problem. His solution, thankfully, is not human wisdom. Because human wisdom is not a means of knowing God, unless we somehow think we can know the wisdom of God. How can a human being know the wisdom of the Almighty God? The truth is, in our modern day and age, many of us, we wouldn't say it this way, but we think that we have all the wisdom we need. We think that if we have enough information, we can literally figure anything out. Some of you may even be offended that I would say that's not entirely true. We talked about a great example in our huddle this morning. Um, One of my favorite examples to use is just the idea of light. You may not know this, but light exists in both rays and waves. Do you know that? We learned that in science. It exists as both. What's crazy, though, is we don't know why. We know that it's true, but we can't tell you why that is. In fact, it seems like it shouldn't be able to be that way, but, but it is that way. There are lots of things that just having more information doesn't mean we're going to be able to figure everything out. No one human has that capacity except for one who became human. You see, we can only know the wisdom of God through Jesus. God came to us as a person that we could meet and interact with, and he embodies wisdom. Earlier, we read that Solomon is the son of David. Jesus, also a descendant of David, Jesus called the son of David throughout Scripture, showed himself not only to be wise, but to be a true source of wisdom. In Matthew chapters 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount, they're all amazed at his teaching. Why? Because he teaches as one with authority. He doesn't have to appeal to anybody else to say, well, so-and-so said. He just speaks and says things that are so obviously true. Isn't that what wise sayings do? Even me reading you things from my dad, some of you sat there and were like, oh, yeah, that's true. That's what a wise saying does. It kind it clicks for us. It's like, oh, yeah, why didn't I think of that? But Jesus proves to be the source of all wisdom. He displays this not only in his teaching, but in his sinless life. He lived in the way of the wise. He showed us the way of the wise. Not only that, if you're thinking, man, Jake, this is a real stretch. You can't call Jesus the wisdom of God. Yes, I can. You know why? Because the Bible does. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. It says, Yet to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom. And God's weakness is stronger than human strength. I think everybody here, it is really good news that God didn't say, you need to behave wisely and you just need to get wiser to figure it out. You know why that's good news? Because we would never be wise enough. We would never get there. We would never be able to reach or attain that status. So instead, Jesus comes. He embodies wisdom for us. We find the wisdom of God in the person and work of Jesus Christ. The countercultural wisdom of the Lord is most fully displayed through Jesus' substitutionary death on a cross and his revolutionary resurrection from the grave. Only when we put our faith in Jesus, only when we trust in his life, death, burial, and resurrection for our justification only then are we able to live in the way of the wise. The beauty is that faith in Jesus not only allows us to live wisely now, but forever as we enjoy eternal life with him. So yes, this is practical for today, but this also has eternal ramifications. Because living wisely, again, doesn't just benefit us. It doesn't just glorify God. It's good for those around us. It's good for those around us to live wisely. Y'all, I, I fill up my recycling bin every week. I don't just do that for me. It's just a wise use of resources. Yeah? Living wisely affects the people around us as well and is good for them. God is calling us to a way of living that, yes, is for his glory. Yes, is for our good. But ultimately, helps us as a society society that so often lacks wisdom. And we substitute it with clickbait and soundbites. If we had not read the instructions in verses 1 through 7 and just jumped into Proverbs and said, let's go through and find the ones we like, we would mostly be taking out ones that people either want to get us tattoos or put on the back of their cars or whatever else, and then we would be misapplying them and we wouldn't even know how to live them out we wouldn't be able to use them at all. Because if we don't know that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, then we can't get Proverbs. Understand, if there is a God, and I believe there is, who exists eternally as the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and who has created all things by his word and holds all things together by his own will. Does it not make sense that that God, the one who is holy and almighty, all powerful, all knowing, all good, all just, does it not make sense that he would be the center of everything? Now this is hard for us because even Christians in the room, we will nod and go, oh yeah, God's at the center. It's all about him. That's not how we live our lives. We get frustrated because our marriages are struggling, and it's really because we're only focused on our own part of the marriage. We're not looking out for the other person. We're not even worried about the other person. We're frustrated at our jobs. And it's because we're worried about us, not our coworkers or what our job might be doing for the society everything revolves around us and that is taught and celebrated in our society as even doing right you just got to look out for you right that could be a modern proverb what's good for me is what's good for me what's good for you is what's good for you you're the center of everything but scripture says no god is at the same. all things are made for his glory And some of you are like, man, God sounds selfish. God sounds mean. Why is he all about himself? Did you know that it is good for us that God is about himself? If he is the only good and we are wretched sinners, which we are, then it is good for us that he's about his own glory. He's jealous for his own glory. That he's jealous for his namesake. That he acts on behalf of his own name. Because when he does that, what he's doing is he is making the way and inviting us into eternal joy and hope and peace and comfort. Apart from him, we would have none of that. I've said before here that a lot of people would be totally good if heaven was a place with gold streets, big mansions, and some dead relatives were there, maybe some dead pets. And you just could to go and hang out with them and, you know, like your favorite team's playing all the time on TV, and your favorite show's rerunning, and your favorite band's there, and like, that, that's heaven, right? we would be really cool with a heaven that doesn't have God. And if that's you, I need you to know that you're missing the point, not only of heaven, but of existence altogether. God created you. And he knows you. He knows the good about you. And he knows the bad about you. And he loves you. God loves you. The creator God who's giving you breath right now, who knows the number of hairs in your head, loves you. And he's calling you to know and enjoy him through his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus came and lived as we should have, died the death we should have, was dead three days, and then defeated sin and death by being raised again. And he is alive right now at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for his people. And one day he's coming back. And what God calls us to do is put our trust and our faith and our hope, not in our own wisdom, not in our own strength, but in Jesus. And if we will do that and turn away from our sin, we can be with him now and forever. We can have new life in him. Now and forever, we can live in the way of the wise, now and forever. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. I hope you'll take that with you today, if nothing else, and let it stir around in your brain and your heart this week, what the implications of that might be. If you're here today and you don't know the Lord, I would love to talk to you about what it means to be a Christian and follow him after today's service. I would love for you to come and find me. If you don't know me, that's fine. You can say, hey, guy who did the talking for a while, cool, I'll come talk to you. Pastor Jake, by the way. Love to talk to you about that. If you are already a Christian, which I know many of you are, many of you would say, yes, I follow the Lord. I wonder if we've made God the center of our wisdom, if we've made him the center of our lives, if we recognize that he is at the center, whether we receive that or not. And then, if we find joy and hope, I hope we do. And I hope as we work through Proverbs together, we'll find wisdom in that as well.